0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 111 of the History Hotline. My name is Deanna Lynn Cook and as always I'll be your host today. This episode is all about the Windrush scandal. Now it's not an episode I've done on this podcast before but I have spoken about the Windrush scandal on another podcast. A podcast I did before the History Hotline was even a thought called Educate. um, Which is my friend's podcast and on that episode... I went into detail on the Windrush scandal um, and spoke about um, the Lessons Learned report that had recently come out. This was in 2020, so about three years ago. Um, I haven't actually spoken in depth about the scandal on this podcast and wanted to take the opportunity as we approach the 75th anniversary of the arrival of the Windrush ship um, into the UK, which is often known and often marks the start or the it's not the actual start but it's known as the start of post-war migrations, um, the start of what people refer to as the Windrush generation, um, and although there were ships that arrived before the Windrush, um, at the end of World War II, there were two ships before that, the Ormond and the Almanzora, in 1947. Um, 1948 tends to mark the start of this um, these migrations, this wave of migration from people from the Caribbean especially. Um, whilst they weren't the only people aboard these ships, um, this is what this kind of time is, is known for and it's symbolic of but I just don't really think that it's possible to be speaking about the context of the Windrush in any context with the word celebration next to it. Um, I think we are in a time where we have got to think about the scandal, um, we've got to think about what was done to people of that generation um cruelly and callously by the home office by the british government um because of i would argue a deliberate policy uh, to remove um black people from this country now this episode i will don't think i'll be pulling any punches um i have a lot to say a lot to get off my chest in part one of the windrush scandal episode um and we're going to start by casting our minds all the way back to 2012. Others would come from other lands in particular from the West Indies. That was audio taken from the 2012 Olympic opening ceremony which uh, was for the Olympics that were in London and it was directed, organised, I'm not sure what the correct word is, by Danny Boyle. Um, And within his uh, opening ceremony there was a section that focused on British history. One of the elements of that was the Windrush um, and they had a mock ship which was assembled of like steel rods and they had fabric around it that made it look like newspapers from the time. Um, And they had actors on stilts playing the passengers and there were men um, carrying their suitcases, their grips walking behind as if they were passengers and as if the Windrush had just docked at Tilbury. Um, Really similar to the Pathé newsreel that is often shared to mark the arrival of the ship uh, and the passengers. The Windrush ship, uh, as it is, tends to be a kind of symbolic representation of post-war migrations of people from the Caribbean. It's the name that they have been labelled with, the Windrush generation. And that tends to speak on the kind of migrations that started after the Nationality Act in 1948. And it takes us to about 1973, where those dates are very pertinent for this Windrush scandal, which we're going to get into shortly. Um, So... You might be thinking, why did we start with 2012 and the opening ceremony? Well, I thought it would be nice to cast our mind back to a simpler time, 2012. I mean, it was a simpler time for me, probably because I was a child (laughs) without bills, (laughs) Um, which is always a nicer time to be alive. Um, But 2012, it's an important time in this kind of winter scandal story. Um, And you might know the answer, but I'm not going to get there. A bit. So I wanted to think about um, this kind of context of the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games um, and I was led to an article by Steve Rose that came out last year in The Guardian um, and it's titled A Jerusalem for Everyone. Was the 2012 Olympics the last gasp of liberal Britain? Um, and I'm not really going to get too bogged down with the politics and the political leanings of this country and, and how far... We've swayed from 2012 and the moment of the Olympic Games. But I wanted to kind of pull out some points that were brought up in the article because I think it's quite an important reflection this kind of 10 year period um, where we have in 2012 this moment where migration is being celebrated as an element, a key part of British history. You know, the Olympic ceremony goes out to the world. It is a global Games, everybody takes part in it, everybody is involved in it in some way, whether you're a spectator or you're, you know, you're volunteering maybe in London um, or you were a fan or you just wanted to watch on the TV and see your favourite sporting star in whatever sport they were representing their nation in, you know, um, the Olympic Games are a really big event and on a global stage in front of the whole world, it was decided that the Windrush and subsequent migrations would be celebrated. I don't think in, you know, the kind of 10 years that follow that moment, have we had a moment, have we had a point in time where we've celebrated migration, where we've celebrated um, the arrival of non-white British people to Britain? I don't think we have. Um, And there was some critique of the opening ceremony for being, quote-unquote, too liberal and left wing and all this stuff um that i think is quite relevant for an olympic ceremony if, if i'm honest um that is you know trying to actually make britain look good uh, and show it off in in the best way possible on a global stage and from the article and i quote we could even laugh about our notoriously crap weather fake clouds are paraded around the stadium that night but real clouds were looming for Britain. Brexit and its ongoing repercussions, of course. Not to mention the Windrush scandal, the COVID pandemic, the cost of living crisis, deportations to Rwanda, I barely need go on. Such a moment of national pride, confidence and unity now seems almost unimaginable. As a result, the 2012 opening ceremony, officially titled Isles of Wonder," has become something of a cultural touchstone. For many, it has effectively become shorthand for Britain before it all turned to shit. Now, this part of the article is funny to me because, and we'll get into this later, but 2012 is also important because it marks the moment that Theresa May, as Home Secretary at the time, and having been Home Secretary for two years at that point, starts off with her hostile policy. Um, And, you know, at this point, that we're referencing as this cultural touchstone, as this moment in time where things were better, the hostile policy and the hostile environment was well underway and the deportations had begun. And it's very interesting that we're looking back to 2012 where the Windrush is literally being celebrated on a global platform at the exact same time as that generation are literally being faced with papers telling them that they are illegally here, they need to prove that they have the right to stay in this country, that they have been here since prior to 1973. It's very interesting that this is all happening at exactly the same time and that line needs to be drawn. I think that those two strings need to be tied together. and We've got to understand the links um, within this story and within time. Um, And just how long and how pervasive um, the hostile policy and environment was and the impact it was having on people of this generation that were being celebrated. And when I was conjuring up this episode, I was thinking, you know, if Britain were to host an Olympic Games anytime soon, let's say this summer or next summer, could it be like that? Could the opening ceremony look like that? And I don't think it could. I think the tone of this country politically is too poor, especially politically, it's so divided or so it seems uh, not just politically but along racial lines along class lines basically anything we can find within us to hold as a part of our identity is causing some kind of division um and you know there's there's that side and there's this side and there's no in between there's no point for compromise it's like you're on the left or you're on the right and you believe in this or you believe in that um and I just don't see us having anything like that in this country at any point soon which is sad in a way um but also maybe a good thing because the irony that we were celebrating something that was actually uh being run through the home office um and targeting that same generation that were on stage being celebrated maybe it's a good thing actually that instead of covering up and plastering over all the kind of ugliness and racism and discrimination that happens in this country it's actually all being shown. It's all being brought to the light. and We can all see it very clearly. And instead of, you know, clapping and cheering for an opening ceremony <laughs> that, whilst it was probably genuine in its intentions to celebrate this generation, um, also mark the start of the, um, the witch hunt, essentially, to send send them back home. In 2012, at this point, the hostile environment was already being felt by many. Um, and we wouldn't really know the true extent for another five or six years in 2012. Theresa May had been two years as Home Secretary under her belt. She was appointed when the Conservative and Liberal Democrat coalition government came in in 2012, 2010 um, with David Cameron and Nick Clegg. Theresa May announced a policy strategy aimed at combating, and I quote, illegal immigration by making it so unbearable for undocumented immigrants that they would voluntarily choose to leave. And that was the start date of what we know as the hostile environment today. In her own words, she aimed to, quote, create here in Britain a really hostile environment for illegal immigrants. That's where it kind of gets the title. Um, But the concept of this hostile environment had been introduced as early as 2007 under the new Labour Immigration Minister Liam Byrne. 2012 saw the first systemic implementation of the strategy but it was as early as 2007 that the Home Office actually received complaints about people that had lived in England before 1973 being asked to prove their legal status from commonwealth countries which obviously they would have been british citizens at the time of their migration to britain so they shouldn't really have to be proving anything um now we don't really talk about what happened between 2007 to 2012 um probably because the amount of cases um that were being brought to the home office were really small in comparison to what's happened kind of since um and especially up to 2018 where the story really broke into kind of the public discourse and we kind of really figured the extent of it and we started to hear about the individual stories of people that had been you know sent to deportation centres and been put on flights and had been actually deported those who had lost their lives um, and those who had battled mental health issues, um, failing physical health, who were denied treatment, who lost their jobs, their homes and all that stuff. That kind of story broke in 2018. Uh, But we rarely go back to 2007 um, and think about some of those really early people that probably wouldn't even have, first of all, understood because, you know, it's difficult to understand They've been deported from a country you've lived in for the vast majority of your life. And I'm talking a lot of the people that would have come in the time period that would have seen them targeted would have come over as children or babies. Um, This England is their home. That's all they know to be home. And so... The fact that these people were being targeted as early as 2007, when this kind of public information, is wealth of knowledge we have now, the legal teams that take on these cases to fight and win compensation and support those that are being deported, those resources were not available to them. They were not able to articulate probably what was happening and reach out to the relevant people for help because it wasn't a widely publicised issue. Um, and so it's very, very difficult to actually even figure out who would have been impacted that early of course the home office would know and those people that filed complaints uh, would have been recorded um, but in a lot of information that is out and available um, we don't really speak too much about those people that would have been impacted at that early stage in 2007. Now with all that being said I figure people might be wondering why these episodes are about the Windrush scandal when Windrush Day is pending and it's supposed to be a celebration uh, of this generation. Now, if you listen to me for a while, especially last year, um, then you'll know the kind of questioning that goes on in my mind when it comes to these celebrations. And last year's episode, I can't remember what number it was, but it was something along the lines of what are we actually celebrating for Windrush Day? Um, and I also so, spoke about the statue that went up at, I think, Waterloo station, train station um, that was commemorating the generation. And every time I do these reflections, the same answer is brought to the forefront of the fact that how can we possibly celebrate something when there are people that have been Im- impacted by this scandal in the most horrible and terrible ways that still have not been compensated, still have no trust in the British government system, home office system, deportation justice system, whatever system you want to think about, and live in fear, live with the trauma of what has happened to them. Personally, I actually don't think Windrush Day would be a thing, or celebrate it, shall we say, to the extent that we see it today, and celebrate is the wrong word, going to say commemorate um I'm going to say recognize, I'm going to say part of you know people's scheduling regular scheduling events you know people are doing things for Windrush Day um whether that is people within Caribbean communities or it's people outside of that it's that generation or generations underneath um unfortunately for me it seems to be the case that we are just constantly reminded that black life doesn't really matter. It only matters when it's too late or something fatal happens or someone literally loses their life, which is the case of a lot of the stories of the deportations within the Windrush scandal. It's like we're only going to actually start, you know, doing Windrush Day and celebrating people in this generation... Because of how bad things got when Britain decided to start deporting people illegally. Secondly, the second reason that we have to talk about the Windrush scandal before any kind of commemorations of any kind of Windrush generation or post war migrants or whatever else. Because there is a fact that a large portion of people waiting for compensation, adequate compensation, I'll put that word in, the adjective adequate compensation, are still waiting and we have got to do better at putting pressure on whoever needs to have pressure applied. Um, because there are so many people that have been offered payouts that have been absolute peanuts, peanuts and pennies for what they've actually gone through, loss of earnings, you know, Um, lack of access to health care, lawyer fees and all that kind of stuff. Some lawyers have worked pro bono on some of these cases, I will say. Um, But a lot of people have had to fight, you know, themselves. They've put their family through... So much... Well, they haven't put their family through stress. The British government has put their family through stress um, by way of their stories. They have had to go through and endure so much. And compensation payouts have been just atrocious, really. I think in 2020, it was less than 1% of the money set aside, the £200 million set aside um, in compensation was given out. Don't get me wrong, things have changed since then. And I think they're nearing about £56 million. Uh, pounds have been offered in compensation so far but I actually don't that you know numbers are a bit weird to me because 200 million sounds like a whole lot of money but when you actually think about the amount of people that were impacted and you know if you're impacted and you're told you can't work and your your job pays you I don't know like 30,000 pounds a year and you're out of work for two years surely you should be being paid a minimum of 60k let alone all the other costs that you would have incurred. Things like fines, things like bailiff fees. You know, there's so many things that you would have potentially had to deal with as a result of not having earnings, not being able to pay for things and, you know, things of that nature. So the fact that we're at like, what? I think it's about 65 million offered. I think it's about 55 million that's been paid out. This is as of January 2023. Um, This is from government records are available online if you ever care to read them it's a big old spreadsheet I'll drop it in the show notes if I remember um quite an interesting read you can also look at the breakdown of Um, the different countries people have come from that have been impacted by this scandal, that have been making claims, um, countries from all over the world. We're speaking about people from the Caribbean, but it's not just people from the Caribbean that were impacted by the hostile environment that will be part of these people seeking compensation um, and seeking justice for what has happened to them. Third reason that we just cannot really be celebrating Windrush Day and all this kind of things Um, and I will speak so plainly when I say this, and as sad as about what I'm going to say sounds, I truly believe this with my whole heart, that as black people in Britain, we can never forget that our place is tentative. I don't think it's wise for any black people, non-white people, maybe we'll go as far as saying that, people... To feel comfortable here, unfortunately I don't think that is wise and I I don't mean to tell people how to feel, um, especially about a place that they call home and have lived their whole lives, their parents have lived and their grandparents have lived. But we're just so often reminded that our citizenship can be taken at any time, that we can be deported, that we can be barred from work and public services and lose our livelihoods and our lives if the right or wrong politician decides it. We've seen the laws that are being slipped through Parliament these days. done episodes on them, you know. There are laws that say that, you know, if you are undesirable, if you are a threat to, to Britain's safety you will be made stateless you know these things are not okay personally to me um and are the main reason why i don't think with a a position so precarious in this country it's ever a good idea to get caught up in the celebration of of our lives and our contribution uh to britain and and that of our ancestors Um, And as negative and as defeatist as that might sound, I can't stress it enough. Um, And if we don't really scream and shout about what has happened and what is still happening to this specific generation of people, to their descendants, I believe we're resigning ourselves to see it happen again and again. Um, Because, you know, this country, until it really, really seriously... (laughs) gets to grips with the, the way this country operates, the racism that is made out by the state and by institutions, nothing will ever change. And number four, fourth reason why I don't feel like celebration makes sense and I've got to talk more about the scandal um, above everything else is because some of these dusty crusty... <laughs> dusty crusty conservative and some labor mps really need to feel the pressure of what is going on and the magnitude of what has happened because i too often hear the term windrush scandal being thrown into this long list of government failings conservative failings like it's i don't know like a bag of flour on a shopping list Oh, here's all the things that the Tories or Theresa May or Amber Rudd or David Cameron or Boris Johnson did badly. Brexit, COVID, Windrush. Like, no. (laughs) No, that is a shopping list. That is read like a shopping list. These things have monumental impact on people's lives. Brexit, COVID, Windrush scandal, you know. It's spoken about like it's this little administrative mishap it was a deliberate policy to systemically target black people and we can never forget that this country did that over a decade of policy shifts changes pressure from different areas within the home office within different factions of politics in this country whether that be the far right UKIP the BNP. all of this was very deliberate it was not accidental and we have got to understand that and please if you don't remember anything else from this episode today or the episodes that will follow please remember that this was deliberate now i had intended to go on and talk about the windrush lessons learned review by wendy williams um which is a report that makes i think around 30 recommendations for change and improvement um within the home office and this was published in 2020 it was published very quickly and very quietly while everybody else was thinking about COVID because it was about March time. I think it was March or April. We were all in the midst of lockdown, panic, you know, it was a crazy time. And of course, that was the best time for them to put out this report that criticizes the Home Office and the racism and actually points out the fact that this was a deliberate policy uh, to target black people in this country. It of course it went out at that time of the year. Um, you know, COVID masked a lot of things that were happening in the world uh, and the winter scandal was one of them now within that lessons learnt review which we're going to talk about next episode because I'm I don't know if you've noticed but I'm making a conscious effort to keep these episodes to around 30 minutes and I know some of you really like the long episodes but I don't know if that's the most effective way to take in history because I think for the most part people's attention span is around 20 minutes um so me talking on pushing an hour i maybe you're not taking all of it in well maybe you are maybe you're listening parts maybe you're an attentive listener um but these episodes moving forward we're aiming for 30 minutes and it's about 25 minutes and 30 seconds in so we're going to talk about the lessons learned review um report done next episode and we're going to also go into a little bit more information on the Windrush scandal, what it actually was, what actually happened, um, because I realise it, it it's a buzzword, It is, as I said it's a, an item on the shopping list of Tory failings, um, but we don't actually a lot of the time, well not me personally, but a lot of people actually don't know what actually happened, how this was, how this came to be, um, and so we're going to go into all the small intricate details of it and I think I'm going to try and bring in some People that have been impacted by the Windrush scandal, some of their stories, not the people themselves, um, but some of their stories that are have been publicised and are, are quite accessible now um, through work done by The Guardian, uh, through a BBC drama that came out. Um, I think it was Sitting in Limbo. Um, that came out in 2020 as well. So there's a lot of information out there. I think if you listen to this episode and you're waiting for the next one, have a look at what's out there on the scandal, do some reading, uh, and then we can come back again next week and talk more about it. Thank you so much for listening to this week's introductory episode. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful week. Goodbye. To this week's episode of The History Hotline. To continue the conversation, follow us on social media at The History Hotline on Instagram and at The History HL on Twitter. The History Hotline is hosted by Diana Lynn Cook. Research is done by Zakia Riaz.